So I brought a few props. That's not a prop. I'm just waiting for a seat. Okay. So the, 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 the name of my, my message this morning, if you're taking notes, and this is, it's a little bit strange, so I'll, I'll, I'll say it slowly, but your brother is your keeper. We don't normally think of it that way. But your brother is your keeper. Because we normally think, am I my brother's keeper? We think of it from my perspective. But your brother is your keeper. And so I want to take a moment right now, and I want to ask you to look around the room. Look around the room. It's okay. I know in churches sometimes that's awkward. But look around the room. Don't look at the person next to you. You know who's sitting next to you. But I want you to look around the room, and I want you to look for who's not here. Who's missing? Okay. And I want to say a special, special welcome to Aiden. It's good to have you <laughs> with us. <laughs> um, but, yeah, look around. Who's not here? So, best case scenario, the person is not here because they're sick. And if they're not sick, I mean, if they are sick, pray for them. Offer them food. Go and love them. Okay? But there are some people that are missing. For other reasons. And I want to say, you are your brother's keeper, and your brother is your keeper. And so, week by week, I'm constantly in turmoil. Who's here? Who's not here? Not because I want a big meeting, but because God has given me a heart for every single person that walked through this door, whether I like it or not. So I want to, so let's, let's jump straight in to that. But have a look around. If God put somebody on your heart, write the name down so you don't forget, and then reach out to them afterwards and love them. We're not looking around because we want to chastise people. We're looking around because we love people. So here's a, here's a question. Okay, so let's jump into my message. And you guys are still going to, you're going to wonder where I'm going with this. But I'm going to ask a question. This is not a rhetorical question. I really need answers. So be brave and shout one out. What? In the world's view, in the judicial system of the world, in the courts across the world, what is the worst crime? Any murder. I like it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Child trafficking. Yeah. Okay. Money laundering. Yeah. That's pretty bad. Okay. So these are all really, yeah, treason and, and terrorism, those are up there as well. These are all really, really bad crimes, okay? And so for most of us, we can get through most days not committing any of those crimes, right? I mean, it's, it's okay, like, it's a struggle, but it's, we get there, we get there. <laughs> yeah. So most days we get through and we're good. So here's a scary thought. In God's view, not holding somebody accountable is as bad as murder. That's how God sees accountability. See, Jethro told you I was taking an accountable person. <laughs> That's my hook. I'm learning from YouTube. Get a hook in early, and then you'll have them. Okay? In God's view, in our view as people, we have this whole hierarchy of, of those are the bad things that I'll never do, but, you know, stealing the chocolates, nobody, I mean, that's a victimless-ish crime. They can claim it back from insurance, I'm sure. I mean, they, they actually, accountants actually plan for theft. They call it um, shrinkage. There's another word for it. But, but, yeah, shrinkage. I mean, how bad is that? <laughs> but in God's view, you, you're, not, you're not buying this. Okay, so I'll show it to you. Okay, so we put up the first scripture. And the first scripture is Genesis uh, 4. 9 to 11. So we're back to Cain and Abel. How, what are the chances? Same shirts, same people. Okay. <laughs> then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, and then he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? I think that, uh, and the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Okay, so fairly early on, that's the first recorded death of a human being. So from fairly early on, we can establish that Jesus was not a fan of murder. 
Okay, he does not like it. It is very bad. But then, jump to Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. And so just so you know, for those of you that, that don't know, just a backstory. Cain and Abel, Cain killed Abel because he was jealous about his offering as Jethro was talking about, which is a great intro. So now we get into Ezekiel 3. And Ezekiel was one of the prophets in the Old Testament. Still counts today, but he was in the Old Testament. And God was giving him words for Israel. And if you've ever received something from God that is a correction for somebody else, you'll know this feeling of, thank you, Lord, for telling me all their faults so I can feel better about myself. I'm a good person. And then God's like, no, 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 I'm not telling you so that you think you're better than them. I'm telling you because I want you to go and speak with them and help them. And then you're like, no, but Lord, if you can speak to me, you can speak to them. Just go direct. You know, you don't need a middleman. And that's what Ezekiel was saying to God. And God said this. And he said it in two parts. And most people quote the first part, which is if a sinner does something bad. But this scripture talks about a righteous person. Now, anybody who's given their life to Jesus and said, I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior is classified as a righteous person in God's eyes as long as they keep on following after God. So this scripture is for you. And this is God saying, he says again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, translation, God says to Ezekiel and God says to each one of us, if you know somebody who calls himself a Christian, who is not doing Christian things anymore, then you need to do this. And I lay a stumbling block, I, God, lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. I just want to say This is not gender specific. When he says he, he means all of us. And then he goes on to say, this is the scary part for me. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin. And his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered. How scary is that? Once saved, always saved? No, not quite. All right? We turn away from God. We turn away from salvation. We turn away from eternity with him. That's the scary part. And that's normally where we stop. We're like, yes, we need to help people with their sin because they're in trouble and they're going to hell. Here's the scariest part, though. But his blood I will require at your hands. When God tells you something about somebody else or you see somebody doing something and you're like, I'll just pray for them. I'm sure God will sort them out going to hold you to that standard the same standard he held Cain to over the death of Abel he will hold us to as Christians if we fail to love the people around us enough to tell them the truth suddenly got a bit weighty (laughs) so who here loves conflict I hate conflict. I did, an, I did a course on conflict because I hate it so much. And then my wife helped me to use it practically in various scenarios, including neighbors and video store shops. <laughs> but I am over my fear of conflict if God is the one who wants me to do it. So you wanted to know about the flower and the rock. As I was walking back into the hall during worship, God pointed these out to me. And he wanted to ask you the question, When it comes to conflict, are you a rock? Or are you one of the flimsiest flowers known to man? Yeah, I'm scared you're picking this one up. And as as I'm sharing, you can decide where do you stand. When somebody wants to speak into my life, am I a rock that doesn't receive? And when God gives me a word for somebody else, am I the rock of offense that takes them out? Or am I soft and available to receive and gentle to correct? That's kindness that leads us to repentance. So when we talk about conflict, don't worry. It's not so, it doesn't have to be rock with rock. Imagine if it was flower with flower. 
the people will be watching us going, was that a correction? And others will be like, no, it's a good thing. We have to be gentle, but we're supposed to speak. We can't not speak. All right. So that wasn't even my intro. It sort of was. So I want to share a little bit about me to make you guys feel better. A lot of this message is actually about me. You get to laugh at me. You'll understand in a few minutes' time why going back to Heritage is quite a big moment in my life. It's been 11 years and, and a lot of pain, but I'm going back um, to the scene of the literal crime. I'll tell you about it later. See another hook. Thank you, YouTube. <laughs> but when I met Jesus, I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning of my salvation. When I met Jesus... Almost 20 years ago, my life was a mess. Um, around about that time, I also met Kate's parents sitting in the back. They won't know I was a mess because I was so good at hiding things. I was from a good home, went to a good school, I got a good education, had a great job. And on the outside, I looked amazing. You can put up the picture. That's what I looked like on the inside. That's what I looked like to Jesus. Because he doesn't see the outside. When he was picking King David, he didn't say like, hey, let's look at the outside. He looks at that. I was going to make you guys all pull out your phones and make it take a picture of yourselves, but I thought I'd put myself up there. So I found Jesus. I was alone. I was homeless, I was, give me the other description, I was orphaned, I was in pain. That was me, that was the real me on the inside. And Jesus loved me enough to bring Kate across my path, who loved me enough to bat me, <laughs> and then invite me to church. <laughs> and I went. And I met God. And I'd been in church all my life. But that day was the first day I met God. That day was the first day I found my home. And here's the scary thought. Because that sounds amazing. It's like, yay, Ian found home. Ian's not alone. Here's the reality. That picture, that's still what I look like on the inside because I'm not there yet. Some of the mud's been taken off, some of the leaves, and that was a painful picture to take. There was mud in my eyes and there was sand everywhere. I think I cried out sand two days later. <laughs> I am still on a journey. I haven't found perfection because I'm not standing before Jesus yet. I'm on a journey and God hasn't given up with, on me. He still loves me, but he's still correcting me and here's the thought, you're on that same journey because none of us are perfect. None of us have found it. Because we're not quite as, quite as amazing as he is. So here's the good news. You guys all know that part in the Bible where Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, I need to leave, but I'm giving you one just like me who's better than me because he can be with all of you at the same time. And that was the Holy Spirit. And we're all like, thank you, Jesus, for the Holy Spirit. We really appreciate him. He guides us. He teaches us. He leads us. He keeps us on the straight and narrow. And then God said to me, you know what I gave you? Because that was Jesus' gift. You know what I gave you? gave you each other because I'm a dad and I know as a dad that you need each other when last did you look at the person speaking into your life and go thank you God for this amazing gift in my life no normally when people are speaking to your life you're like uh just hold on just hold on just processing give me a sec okay 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 next one no, no, I wasn't ready. No, sorry, I wasn't ready. No, no. And then the rock comes out. No. We are each other's gifts given by God the Father. First the apostles, 
in the Ephesians 4 gifts, and then the rest of us, to love each other, to love each other enough, to be scared of God enough, to challenge each other when we're not getting it right in love. Okay, so let's get stuck into this. So who knows what a blind spot is? You guys know what a blind spot is, right? Everybody can drive a car. If you, if you can drive a car and you did not just put your hand up now, I'm very worried about you. <sighs> okay. So the reason we need each other is because we all have blind spots. We all need accountability. So here's a scary question for you. When last did you invite an elder or a leader into your home, into your lounge, into your kitchen, into your personal space. When last did you invite, not when last did a leader come into your home, when last did you invite them into your home? Okay, that sounds bad. That sounds like Jethro and Eddie and I like, Shh, we're coming in, pastor will visit. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's on your bookshelf? <laughs> sit there going, there's something not okay with me. I need help. Can somebody help me, please? And I'm always like, we can meet at coffee shops, and coffee shops are great. They're just really expensive. Coffee shops are great, but there's something beautiful about inviting somebody into your home. And you know how it always goes, sorry, I wasn't expecting people. I've got to clean up. Those people have been cleaning for three hours already. They just missed one thing. Here, me included. Okay. But you can put up Acts, uh, no, we're not going to put this one up. But in Acts 2.42, most of us know that one off by heart, talks about fellowship. And what it says after that passage, it says that there was awe and wonder in the people that were looking at them. That awe and wonder wasn't there because they had the best bring and shares. There because they saw the people and they saw true fellowship and they were like, I want what they have, but I'm scared to ask for it. It's like Nadine's story of the lady at the at the restaurant. Why did you ask me to come over here? I thought it was just gonna be a door. She obviously didn't check the wine on the table first. <laughs> so people are attracted to true fellowship. But true fellowship takes a bit of effort. So if we can put up Acts 20, this is, this is um, Paul the Apostle talking to the elders in uh, Ephesus. And he, he calls them all together and he says, hey guys, I'm on my way to Rome to die. Very positive start to that meeting. I'm never gonna see you again. You're never gonna see my face. But let me tell you a few parting shots before I go. And he says this to them. When they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived amongst you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears in the trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. And then this is, this, this is the important part. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And now this, this guy wasn't after the prosperity message, okay? So when he says profitable, he means to make you more like Jesus. I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. That is the position, the posture we need to take with the leaders in our lives. Please come into my home. Please make me more profitable for the kingdom. God wants. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for people that are available. And then Nadine stole my line from Ashley Gabriel from this week, so I won't say it again. Oh, wait, no, I will. Because we are better together. So I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to put you out. For those of you that haven't heard a thing I've said since I committed a crime 11 years ago in America, I will tell you what that crime was. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about driving. So when I was 
When I was in the U.S. 11 years ago, uh, generally I don't like to drive when I'm in other countries. I avoid it. But, but anyway, for whatever reason, it was the end of the outreach, and I'd got used to the fact that people drive on the wrong side of the road in these really big cars. And so I was like, I can do that. And uh, so I borrowed my host's truck. Yeah, yeah, if it was a car, maybe it would have been okay. But I borrowed my host's truck. And we were just going to go down, literally down the road. I don't know what we were going to go buy, but we were going to shop down the road, a whole bunch of us. And I decided I was going to drive. In hindsight, I heard from the other people that saw me pull the car out of the driveway that they were all like, what is Liam doing? It's not going to end well. But nobody told me, you see, and that's going to be held against him. <laughs> so anyway, so I'm driving and I'm doing well and I'm not speeding, though I don't remember the drive in hindsight, but it was 11 years ago. But I'm driving and I'm doing well. And we get to the shopping center, the strip mall, and I pull into the parking bay. Unfortunately, I was aiming for this parking bay, and I ended up in that parking bay. The other problem is, in that parking bay, there was already somebody else. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up making really good friends with a, Chev uh, with a Chevy Malibu. So the miracle is, we get out the car. And there's not a scratch on my host's truck. That was the first miracle, which I was very grateful for. And the second miracle is that nobody was hurt in the, in the accident. The, th the third miracle, sorry? The, okay, the, yeah. The, I mean, it was now a drop car. It was, it was, it, we dropped the suspension a bit on that car. Because truck versus Malibu, we don't get Malibus in this country, but they're not big. They're really small, and it was really old, and it was very flat when I finished with it. <laughs> I, okay, I don't want to exaggerate. I didn't drive over it. I just, I hit the fender and I just pushed through it kind of thing. And I reshaped it. I think it looked better afterwards. But anyway, the third miracle, the third miracle was that the, the people, the kids in the car jumped out, ran into the mall, and I don't know how they did it, but they found the owner of the car. That's a miracle because before God, I would have driven away. <laughs> because my car was fine, <laughs> but before them, I didn't, which was amazing. So anyway, um, so they found the owner, the owner came in, my host had insurance, so everything was good with the world, you know, and then God said to me, pay for the car, and I was like, but, but this is America, this is not going to be cheap, and he's like, and pay for the car, and I'm like, and and when we get home, we're going to be fetching Zach because we were about to become parents. Zach was waiting for us at home. I'm like, being a parent is expensive. We need our savings. This is going to take all of my savings. And God said, pay for the car. And so I paid for the car. So now, scroll forward 11 years. A couple of weeks ago, I was invited to a friend's house, uh, Kate and I, Andrew and, Andrew and Liz East, who are in, si in City Bowl, and they live in the middle of the city. They live close to the, 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 the castle. And uh, as you may know, parking in the city is a premium and also quite dangerous. If you park in the city, you might not get your car back. So they're like, don't worry, we've got a parking bay for you in the building that you can use. They didn't say anything be besides that. They just said there's a parking bay. So I didn't plan ahead. But anyway, we get into our car, and the car we're driving at the moment is relatively big because God told me to get a car that can seat seven people to give people lifts. So anyway, so we have this relatively big car, and we get there. And as I'm pulling up to the building, I suddenly realize the mistake I'd made by accepting this invitation to park. So we get to the door. He pushes a button. The gate opens, and it's a roller gate. And the ramp to get into the parking lot, no lies, is like this. You know those parking bays when you get to the lip of it and you look down, you can't actually see into the parking lot because it's so steep? So that's what, that's what we started with. And, and it's not wide. It's quite narrow. And I'm like, okay, this is going to get good. Then I, so I, I get down the ramp and nothing's been scraped yet. And this is amazing. And I'm, I'm praying in tongues, I'm sure, by now. 
And we get to the bottom of the, 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 the parking lot, and, and then what I see is lots of steel pillars everywhere. And you're like, how do you get a car around these things? And then next to the steel pillars, at a height that is perfectly designed, but you can't see it when you're driving, are these little uh, steel rods sticking out of the ground. Not little flimsy like rebar, like proper steel rods sticking out of the ground that are just going to rip your car apart. And I'm like, thanks, Andrew. This is an amazing privilege to park in your parking lot. <laughs> so anyway, Andrew comes running down the stairs, and he comes into the parking lot. Because Kate and I are just sitting there going, like, what do we do now? This is, I don't even know which bay to use, let alone if we can get to that bay. And he's like, you see that bay, that bay at the far side? <laughs> That's yours. <laughs> so it's awesome. <laughs> it's going to be fun. But then what he did was he walked with me as I drove. And he's like, okay, there's a, there's a pillar there. There's a, there's a thing there. And as we drove, and I had Kate, like, leaning out the window. You're good. And I had the kids sitting in the back distracting me. Not so good. But anyway, and we made it into the parking bay. Now, what I can say about those two stories is that parking in that basement was like a hundred times more difficult to do than parking in America. But I crashed the car the first time. And I didn't crash the car the second time. And the reason for that is because I had somebody with me I didn't in my arrogance say, I've got this. Don't worry. Don't tell me what to do. I can see the bay. What's wrong with you? I'm going to get there. I was like, fear and trembling. I'm not sure how to do this. Can you guys help me? And the fact that Andrew helped me get into that parking bay without scratching my car wasn't because he's a better driver than me. Yes, he's parked in that bay many times. But he's not a better driver than me necessarily. Well, he probably is, but I don't know. But the reason was because he could see things that I couldn't see. He had perspective. And in order to walk this life well, we need perspective. And we can't give ourselves that perspective. And here's the thing. You can go to gurus. Like, oh, I need to make a financial decision. I'm going to go to the best financial minds for those answers. You can. They will know more than you what to do. Or I need to decide where I'm going to live. I'm going to phone my friends and tell them to come and check out the house and tell, tell me what they think. And you can do that, and they might help you. But friends being friends, they might also be like, yeah, you like it because I like it. Yay, let's all like it together. Here's the thing. People tend to leaders that love you, leaders that are friends, they're going to give you godly perspective. They're going to love you. They're going to share their experiences with you. And they're going to help you do the best that you can. They're not going to have all the answers. Leaders are not gurus. Leaders are just people. But they're people that God has put in your life to love you, carry along with that, but I think it was entertaining. <laughs> so here's my second driving analogy. So for anybody who's driven from the, from, from the southern suburbs to the northern suburbs via the M2, you guys might know that road. You're coming along the M3. You get to Rhodes Memorial kind of area. You loop it round. You come down onto these, and the amazing designers of the Cape Town roadways bring you in on the right-hand side, even though most of you need to end on the left-hand side. And then there are people coming from town on the left-hand side, you know, coming down a hill at full speed, you know, because we don't break in this country. <laughs> so everybody's going as fast as they can because there's some kind of mystery, but if we hit it hard, we'll find a gap. You know, if we, if we hesitate, we'll miss the gap. But if we, if we hit it hard, we'll... And these two roads come together, and everybody wants to be somewhere else. And I was doing that this week, Thursday, we, we were in, in Claremont for something, and I was coming back, and I was reminded of this. And I was just watching all the cars, and it's like, some cars indicate, some cars accelerate. You know, everybody's doing their own thing. And I felt like God saying, changing lanes is a scary thing. 
when you're driving a car. I remember once my, my side mirror, not the whole compartment, but just the little mirror fell off while I was driving. And then I had to cross like three lanes of freeway without a side mirror. Very big blind spot. But anyway, we made it, evidently. But changing lanes when you're driving, you have to be aware of what you're doing. And I felt like God saying, isn't the same true of life? Are you planning a lane change in life? Are you doing all the things you would do? And what do I mean by a lane change? Are you planning on changing churches? Are you planning on dating somebody? Are you planning on marrying somebody? Are you planning on having children? Are you planning on changing jobs? Are you planning on changing where you live? And that's not exhaustive. That's just a few that came to mind. These are all significant lane changes. And the reason they're significant lane changes is because God says in Scripture, I will say where you will live, what you will do, and what will be profitable in your life. And so if that is true of how God sees it, then you've got to ask yourself the question, when I'm changing lanes, am I as careful with my spiritual life as I am with the car that I'm driving. So here's some, here's some suggestions on how to change lanes well. And I don't know if this order is correct. If there are any driving instructors here, I do apologize in advance. I'm a driver, not a brilliant driver. I'm, I'm good at it. So step one, check your mirrors, your side mirrors and your front mirror. That wasn't just to pass a driving test. You actually, they're there for a function. So step one, check your mirrors. And checking your mirrors is the same as going to God, saying, God, this opportunity has come along. Is this you? Because not every opportunity is God. Okay? Step number two, put on your indicator. Again, not just decorative. Very useful. Okay? Put on your indicator. And an indicator is when you communicate to your friends around you, to people around you, say, hey, guys. There's this opportunity that I'm thinking of taking on board. Can you guys pray with me and let me know if you feel anything? And then the last thing you do before you attempt to change lanes is you check your blind spots. And checking your blind spots is the equivalent to going to your leaders and saying, I've gone to God, I've opened it up to my friends, and so far between myself and them, I feel at peace. I feel like this is a good idea. I don't have any red flags. What do you think? Which is a little bit different to what we often do, which is, hey, man of God, is this God? Or, hey, man of God, priest, please pray that the Lord will open this door. And so, well, first of all, the Lord doesn't work for me. I work for him. <laughs> I can pray all you want. It doesn't necessarily help you. But also, we're just human beings. We're just children of God like you. But there's something about submitting yourself and saying, you're a leader in my life. Is this God? What do you think? And if you don't think this is God, even if everybody else, Andrew did this many times over his years, and we, I think others of us as well, you'll have prophetic words, and you'll have everybody saying this is amazing, and if you miss this opportunity, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. And then a leader will stop you and say, but is it God? And you're like, ah. Oh, Come on, seriously? But that's how God has given us leaders. All right, I'm totally out of time. This has been amazing. I've been loving this, but taking. So anyway, so let's jump into the next one. So that was blind spots and accountability. The next one I wanted to share about is, is walking in the light. And the question here I want to ask you, so the first question was, when last did you invite a leader into your home? Here's a question. When last did you ask a leader to speak into your life? And I know how this goes. I do this as well. Hey, Jethro, if you see anything in my life, if the Lord reveals anything to you, <laughs> please feel free to speak into my life. I'm, I'm so available. But what should it look like? 
Jethro. Says, Lord, see my cupboard. Hey, Jethro, this is, this is the dirt on the floor. Hey, Jethro, these are all the problems in my life. Can you speak into my life? When we invite people to speak into our life, we start with, this is my life. You don't assume that they've got a crystal ball under the coffee table, like one of those magic eight balls. They're all dodgy anyway, so we shouldn't have them. But, but even if we did, no. That's not how accountability works. Accountability works is when you put your worst foot forward. You know, I, was, I was helping a friend with a photo shoot on, uh, on Thursday, and the kids were exposed to like advertising for the first time. And I think for them, they were surprised at how fake it really is. I know we all know how fake it is. You know those before and after photos? Definitely before. But they're very fake. Everything is fake. But that's not the kingdom. The kingdom is the complete opposite of that. I'm going to show you my worst. And then if you're a flower and not a rock, you're going to seek out the gold in me anyway. You're going to love me anyway. You're going to accept me anyway. So we're not going to put it up on the board, but, but 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, there's a part there that says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So there's a prerequisite of fellowship. Can we put up the, we're going to put up the second picture now. Don't put it up yet. No, no, no. It's okay. You're doing great, brother. I mean, it's so I want to link in with this. Walking in the light. There's that scripture that says, make your leader's life a joy. As ones that are going to give an account for you. And there's this lie out there. I've said it. I'm pretty sure all of you have said it. But it's a lie. And it comes straight from the pit of hell. And this is the lie. The leaders are too busy for me. It's a lie. The leaders are too busy for me. It's demonic. Because what does it do? It's like, oh, I want to go and submit myself to the leaders. I want them to check my blind spots. It's not my fault I don't. It's just they can't help me. They're too busy. Are the leaders busy? Of course. They're all busy. But if God wants you to speak to a leader, I promise you now, there will be time. Otherwise, God wouldn't ask you to do it. Because God doesn't ask us to do things that are impossible. If you want to speak to a leader for your own ego's sake, hey, let me tell you about this amazing testimony of all these things that I am doing, then maybe, yes, maybe God won't set up that divine appointment. But if you are in a place where you need someone to speak into your life, and it might not be the leader that you want. I know Ian. Ian's a flower. I'm going to speak to him with everything. And then God's like, no, no, no. I want you to speak to that guy. No, but, but God, that guy's going to squish me. And? What's your point? The leaders, plural, cumulative, together, are not too busy for you because we love you so we will find a spot and so the question is are you too busy for the leaders because you want the ones that God doesn't want you to talk to or you want to speak about the wrong thing but if every time you try to speak to a leader it doesn't work out first before you accuse before you challenge first check your own motives first check your own heart And the reason I say this 
is because accountability is a choice. I can't force you to be accountable. I can love you into it. I can't force you to do it. And when the kids all went out, most of you weren't to see me. And if you put the picture up now, this is from a while ago. It's not a great picture. But this is something you guys maybe don't actually know. Is that when the kids go out, you know, they all go like charging out like a stampede. And we're all like, please, Lord, help those people. But look, take this. You know what happens? As soon as they get out the hall, they all become like super orderly and amazing. You know why? We have this magic tool that the Lord has given us. Because we're full of gifts, you know. It's called the rope. <laughs> and so when all the kids leave the hall, they all choose to hold the rope. And they all walk one after the other. Wherever the teachers want them to go, they will go. Because if you put somebody trustworthy and reliable on the front. <laughs> and everybody else holds on and walks along. And this is a picture of accountability. We are all, like I started, we're all on a journey somewhere together. And God the Father, as a gift, gave us each other to walk it out. But I can tell you now, without the rope, which is slightly more COVID-friendly than holding hands, without the rope, kids would be scattered and they'd go everywhere. And we wouldn't be able to get through the parking lot safely without being hit by cars and random things. But God has given us accountability to hold us all in line, literally hold us all in line and help us get to the destination. Because accountability isn't about me speaking into your life because I want to, because I think I'm amazing and better than you and I want to rip apart the things that I think aren't of God. No, accountability is a privilege because I want to see each one of you get to eternity with Jesus. Is it possible to get there without accountability? I think it is possible. But your odds are not in your favor. This is the gift that God has given you, the husband. And like Martin Stockdale said last week, if we want to reign in this life, we can't do it our way. Frank Sinatra got it right. Great song, bad lyrics. Okay? We can't afford to do it said in the beginning, I haven't met all of you yet, so I, I can't know for sure, but but I wanted to start off by asking, if you're here this morning, and you're listening to these crazy messages, and these crazy people, watching these crazy people, and you're suddenly realizing, there's something missing in my life that I need, I've, maybe I've never met this Jesus. Or maybe I knew him once, but I turned my back on him because stuff got in the way. I want to ask, if that's you, if you're looking at your life right now and you're thinking about what it looks like, you're saying, my life is a mess. My life is an absolute mess. Everything is going wrong. And I need somebody to help me turn it around. Will you respond to God right now? Because there's a solution for you if your life is a mess. To turn from your sin, to turn from your failing, and turn to Jesus and say, God, you are my Lord and my Savior. You are, you are everything I need to lead me into a better state. I can't do this without you. So if you right now are not walking a life with God, suddenly desiring to 
turn that around and give your life to God and say, here I am, please help me to get closer to you. Will you put your hand up right now? Thank you, I see that hand. pray together now. What I want to ask as well, second question, if you're sitting here this morning and you're looking at your life because you're not looking around because your eyes are closed and you're getting uncomfortable and you're suddenly thinking, hold on, I don't know that I have this all together. I don't know that I'm walking this walk right. I'm weaving all over the road and nobody knows it because I don't have my indicators on. I don't have, I'm not checking my blind spots. I'm just going wherever it looks good. Suddenly realizing something's not right. Or maybe you've hit a wall and you're looking at your life and you're saying, this can't go on. I can't do this anymore. Something's got to change or I'm not going to make it. And you're needing somebody to come alongside you love you enough to point you in the right direction and steer the ship. Or maybe this morning you, you, you thought you were doing well, you were doing all the right things, you're coming to church, you're going to, you're going to community on a Wednesday night, you're reading your Bible, and you suddenly realize, but hold on, why am I so far from everybody else? Why do I have this sudden feeling like I'm drifting? I'm drifting away from what God has for me you've let go of the rope and you are drifting you just hadn't noticed it till now if any of those things apply to you will you stand with me don't be shy of people standing up all over the place. Maybe you're looking at your face and you're going, but I thought I got that mud off already. So why are you showing me mud, God? I'm going to ask those that are standing to be brave and come to the front. There's a whole bunch of you, so don't worry. If you weren't standing and you suddenly feel like, oh, I'm missing out, please come join us. Oh, thank you. Don't be shy. Then I want to ask the rest of you. This is a team sport. look at who's standing up at the front here and this is not a shaming moment please for those up at the front here this is not a shaming moment this is a beautiful moment this is a moment where Jesus celebrates and says thank you that my bride is getting more purified so if you're looking at the front and, and God's pointing somebody out to you and saying not just hey yeah I'll go do the Christian thing I'm going to go and pray for that person because you know then I'll look good because I'm praying for people and, and Ian will be happy with me but look at the people at the front and ask yourself God give me a heart for these people give me a love for these people I want to challenge you the ones that are sitting now God loves every single person standing at the front here there isn't one person up here that has your heart something's wrong with your heart and I'm going to ask if you guys will come and just come and stand around the ones that are standing front ask God who do you want me to stand with and then come and come and make your way to the front and come and come and stand alongside I'm not going to ask you guys to pray for them but I just want you to come and stand with them
ever visited with us since then. <laughs> Here's your family now. As we lay on hands, we're going to pray together. I'm going to pray first. And then you guys can, if God gives you a word for them, you're welcome to love them. Father God, I want to say thank you. Thank you in your wisdom that you gave us each other, God. I'm shameless to say that if I didn't have family, I wouldn't be able to hold the line to the end. I would drift away. I would lose salvation. And so I want to say thank you, Father God, for myself firstly, and then for every other person here that calls himself a child of God. Thank you. Thank you that you gave us each other. And I want to pray right now, Father God, that you will supernaturally, like, like Jesus prayed in John 17, that you will knit our hearts together, Father God, that you will knit us together, that you will make us one of heart, one of mind, one of spirit, that you will bring your bride together, God, to love and to love. Father God, that you love each and every single one of us. For those that have been brave enough to come to the front to receive love, I want to pray, Father God, right now that you will silence the lies of the enemy, that their hearts will be soft to you, God, that you can pour by your Holy Spirit, that, that you can pour your love into them supernaturally for your glory. said, if you guys have had the thing, the feeling to pray for them, feel free to share that love with them.